That was the theme song for the Bicycle Hour here at Blast Beats and Bicycles, 91.7 FM, McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. Really excited to have Bruce Martins in studio with me from the Yo Devo development team and Lopet Cycle Works. Bruce, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jason. Yeah, looking forward to talking about a lot of the youth work that you're doing out at the trailhead. But, of course, we've got some housekeeping we got to do beforehand. We've got some velodrome news. This is World Championships Week uh, over in Poland. And uh, we've had some nice results for the U.S. team. Uh, Jen Valente got the bronze in the Omnium uh, over the weekend in Poland. And she won the elimination race on her way to that bronze medal. So congratulations to Jen. Uh, she's actually raced up here at the National Sports Center Velodrome, uh, which is pretty cool. And the women's team pursuit team took seventh place in that tournament. Maddie Godby took second, uh, went to the second round of the sprint tournament. Ashton Lambie was fifth in qualifying and just missed the medal rounds in the kilo. And then the Australian men set a new Team Pursuit world record. So lots of exciting stuff going on over in Poland for the World Championships. Those will wrap up tomorrow. Uh, And I understand there's some racing happening here today, Bruce. Is that right? Big day for us today. Yeah, we have uh, a new event that we're actually uh, working out called Lopet X. Uh, It's in conjunction with some of the Minnesota Youth Ski League uh, final uh, events going on out at the trailhead there. And uh, imagine Red Bull uh, crashed ice with fat bikes and Nordic skis, and you kind of get an idea of what what we're doing out there. (laughs) So where do you where do you where do you run them? Is it on the ski trails, or do you have a special course set up? Yeah, we we spent the last week prepping a special course just. For this event and it's a feature event that we're hoping to incorporate in the world cup uh extravaganza that we have coming next year uh, out at the trailhead wow. 2019 so if somebody were to go to watch uh, tonight what are the details well the preliminary practice runs begin around 5 5 30 and then racing will start just shortly thereafter so hopefully we'll run 5 30 about seven o'clock under the lights uh there's some big hits the run's Typically should run around 45 seconds or so. We've got just over 50 racers coming out uh, on the fat bikes. Uh, Most of the folks who are in the community and folks who are regular listeners and contributors to this program, uh, some recognizable names. (laughs) And and what are the what are the runs look like? I mean, how many riders are up there at one time? What's the course length? That kind of thing. Yeah. So it's a bracket type tournament style uh, elimination, uh, four riders at a time cruising down high berms, uh, some features with some steep descents, a little bit of climbing just to keep it real. And then a fantastic uh, sprint finish for the fans right off the backside of the trailhead there so uh are there rules for uh cohabitation on the track well we haven't stated any i'm hoping that those things uh will take care of themselves uh but (laughs) we we haven't exactly and we haven't we haven't ruled anything out so (laughs) that's great and so is this the first time you've done something like this up there absolutely this is the first time we've done anything like this out there so that's great pretty excited you know i uh, before we get into the programming that you guys do i want to just have you kind of talk a little bit about the trailhead it's such an amazing new facility what is it for somebody who's never been there what are some of the key things that go on there sure yeah uh so in the winter months uh we're uh, primarily a nordic ski center focusing on uh providing equitable opportunity for underserved families and uh the north minneapolis uh stretching into south minneapolis um nordic ski man-made nordic ski loop uh, is about 17k uh depending on how much snow we get we can extend that out obviously linked to the chain of lakes nordic ski system uh on natural snow when we have it and uh in addition to that we have uh fat bike trails uh about just under seven miles right now of groomed manicured fat bike trails and then friday saturday sundays from six to nine we open the ski deck up for fat bike riding as well wow in addition to all that we have snowshoeing hiking tubing sledding uh and whatever things we come up with uh for events like today that's a pretty rare thing that you allow fat bikes to get on the ski deck like that yeah, you know, it's unique to us here in the metro, but it was certainly not precedent-setting. Uh, several uh, Nordic areas uh, in a, do this type of thing, uh, so we're certainly not unique 
in the broad term, but definitely something that uh, is not done regularly here. And it's been successful so far, and we're looking at maybe extending that a little bit uh, Wednesday night race series next season, uh, utilizing the man-made snow for winters like this that were highly unpredictable, uh, kind of sabotaged the season early <laughs> on, and then uh, overextended the season here with this latest snowfall. Yeah. Do you uh, do you kind of monitor people's tire pressure when you get them on there with the fat bikes, or do you just kind of let them ride? Well, we definitely provide guidelines. You know, sure. there is an etiquette out there, and we have an evidence-based uh, best practice. But on that note, where there's certainly no police out there or anything, uh, again, a culture respectful of kind of the trails and the work that we're doing so far, and we allow for folks to kind of monitor that themselves. I will say that the ski deck is open only to season pass holders, mm-hmm. uh, all access pass holders, and so. Uh, it is a controlled access to the ski deck Friday, Saturday, and sure. Sundays. And do you guys do some pretty extensive regrooming on Sundays then after those those fat bike nights have gone come and gone? We're grooming every night, so every morning those skiers come out uh, after the the riders have been out. It's a it's a new deck, and you shouldn't even see any evidence of us being out there. Yep. And I, talking about grooming, I've seen a lot of pictures of you guys on social media sort of grooming the fat bike trails by hand. That's got to be a ton of work. Yeah, and it, and it is, uh, except for the fact that we do have some uh, dedicated staff. Uh, this is the difference between having some paid staff versus all volunteer hours. And then we've got a machine that helps assist us as well. That's nice. And so obviously you do all of your Lopet Cycle Works programming kind of based out of the trailhead. What are the, some of the things that you guys do for the program specifically in, in the trailhead facility? We have a strength training room that has been heavily utilized over the off-season here this, uh, from November until just now. Um, we're primarily focused on building a, a strength base uh, using an endurance-style CrossFit approach, uh, functional fitness, uh, prepping the kids for core stability, balance, uh, strength, and, and injury resistance. Uh, in addition to that, we, do, we have smart trainers uh, that we use for indoor training, uh, everything from uh, group rides to individualized workout programming. Uh, what's nice about the, the trails out there is obviously we can get outside mm-hmm. too, and, and most of the kids uh, have had an equitable opportunity to get out and actually ride their bikes uh, during the winter as well. And then come spring, you know, we hit the road, uh, depending on how long the, the snow takes to melt off we'll we'll spend a bunch of time on the road june june yeah uh fortunately we also take a bunch of trips and though we do most of the programming out of the trailhead uh we we have an extension in that you know we we take our show on the road we've got a van and trailer and the ability to load kids up and that's been highly popular as well especially with the non-performance kids uh Mm -hmm. still provides an opportunity for coaching training without the pressure of competition for those that aren't interested or aren't ready for that yet talk a little bit about the foundations of you know the the slope cycle works and what you're trying to accomplish there what are some of the goals that you have for the thing you know, for the program. Sure. Yeah. And, and honestly, it's really easy. I mean, our vision and, and mission just boils down to equitable opportunity. You know, we want to make sure that we provide equitable opportunity for everyone to come out and experience all there is uh, in to be had uh, through the, the magic of the bicycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have programs that start from seven to 13 through our trail kids and adventure programs run by Kim Rudd and Anthony Taylor. Uh, from 13 on, we take the, the Lopez Cycle Works takes those kids over and we have uh, adventure programs programming for the non-competition folks. We have uh, development programming, which has uh, brought in the Yodivo, the, the youth development program, primarily focused on readiness, race readiness, for, uh, utilizing some of the local venues that are around, uh, organizations like the Minnesota Mountain Bike Series, mm-hmm. uh, local races like the Lutzen 99er, Bora uh, Epic, um, some of the one-off races that happen around the metro. And then we have a competition team that really kind of focuses on the, the fine-tuning of racing and with the objective of going out and racing nationals here uh, this July in Winter Park in Colorado. Wow, that's fantastic. In addition to all the youth programming, we do have adult programming that matches all of that as well. So ultimately, we end up with this uh, full lifespan opportunity for everyone on the bicycle from 7 to 107. So when you when you get the kids out on the trail, what are some of the things you work with them or on the road? I mean, what are some of the things you do beyond what happens in the trailhead? Well, safety is our primary objective. So we stress uh, at every 
point uh, how to be safe and respectful of an inherently dangerous sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, we make sure that we're providing an educational experience so that they're able to learn uh, in accordance to their competence uh, and developmental level. And then uh, the, the big objective is just having some fun, you know, and that's obviously individual. And we try to accommodate every individual based on their goals and their abilities to achieve whatever it is, mm-hmm. is that drives them and feeds their passion on the bike. What, uh, what are some of the differences between the people who are on the competition side versus the sort of recreational side of the, of the program? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I, I think it just all boils down to the ability to handle the pressure and the rigor of, of competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, some kids come to it naturally and can handle that type of, of stress. Um, many kids we find that isn't something that's innate. And so we take the time to, to, to mature them if that's their objectives. And then also connecting them with uh, ancillary opportunities that are not necessarily uh, related to performance. So engagement in bike community, mm-hmm. advocacy groups, uh, contributions to trail maintenance, bike industry, etc. That's fantastic. And, and so are you working generally the same types of workouts? It sounds like you might be giving the kids a lot of the same type of training, just a little bit more emphasis on one aspect or another. Yeah, our model is actually really conducive to specialization, depending on whatever the, the student athlete needs. And so ultimately, we can have a very novice, younger rider without competition goals working out in right next to somebody who has uh, very elite aspirations. Uh, the m- method and model that we use is kind of generalized, and then we can specialize the 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 aspects of that workout to um, suit the the individual's needs. So it's a highly versatile model. I'm I'm curious about the the equity that you've been talking about and how that comes to uh, equipment in particular, right? Cycling can be a pretty expensive sport, especially if you want to dive deep into it. How do you guys manage that? Do you have a fleet of bikes that kids can use? We do. Yeah. Each program has uh, loaner bike fleets. Uh, Obviously, you know, the higher up in the competition uh, scheme or spectrum that you get, the the more resources and and, uh, expense. Uh, that incurs. But in a general sense, we try to not let the bicycle be a barrier to or the, the cost of, of mm-hmm. participating be the barrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're supported by tremendous community organizations, donors, volunteers, uh, as well as the Lopet Foundation internally itself. I mean, it is our vision and mission to provide equitable opportunity for everyone, especially the underserved. Yeah. How does how does Lopet Cycle Works fit within the overall mission of the Lopet Foundation? I mean, obviously, it has its origins in cross-country skiing correct how do how do you guys integrate with what their overall mission is for the well foundation? you know what's been great about bringing the yo devo program into the broader lopet foundation and creating lopet cycle works is, is that we were able to leverage the model that had been established through the lopet foundation and lnr uh, lopet foundation had programming with trail kids utilizing resources and method for seven to 13 year olds uh, anthony taylor and his program does school-based programming which we had been doing Mm-hmm. Uh, quite a bit of as well. And then obviously with LNR and the performance base that Piat Bednarski has put together uh, fits really well with our aspirations on the bicycle as well. Yeah. Is this the first season for uh, Lopet Cycle Works? This is. This is our inaugural season. Um, we're really excited, though. This is not a new program for me and some of the participants in it. It is definitely new to have the resource support and the uh, overwhelming response of the community that the Lopet has brought uh, us into. So, Is it p- fully supported by the foundation or do you have other sources and other other uh, partners very diverse support yeah i mean we we rely on a very broad spectrum of of contributors uh as a grassroots grassroots not-for-profit organization obviously we have a small core staff with a huge volunteer base uh parents student athletes uh who progress through the system uh, we're partnered with the university of minnesota cycling team as well leveraging some of those athletes as mentors uh, as well as some of the community-based organizations like like Mork and Mocha, who also uh, serve as contributors and supporters of what we do. You've, uh, you've talked a little bit about the staff. Who are some of the people that you have on the team? Uh, individuals or coaches? Yeah, in, well, both, actually. Yeah, so, well, I mean, we've got a diversity uh, of, of participants in the youth programming. Uh, we have, you know, a good number of middle schoolers uh, kind of just getting their, cutting their teeth into the scene, uh, really developing their themselves, figuring out their bodies, the biopsychosocial aspects of racing, not just the physical, but the mental and the, 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 so the social aspects that go into it. Uh, we have a really solid core group of um, intermediate riders who are using 
the the program to kind of hone their skills and and see what's possible mm -hmm. if they if they have what it takes to to really pursue a more elite uh, uh, career on the bicycle. And then obviously we have some of the I'm I'm modest in when I say we have most of the top riders in the state as well as the outstate region. We have a few folks from the Wisconsin area that also participate in our program um, at the top levels of their their riding uh, awesome. in adolescence. Uh, folks who will do real well this year at the national level. That's great. You, uh, I'm assuming that some of the kids who are in the competition program are also part of the high school cycling league. Is that Yeah, you know, and that's been a great feeder program. Uh, part of my history is, is that I was a co-founder of the Minnesota High School Cycling League. So uh, as the coach licensing manager uh, for the league, I, I met most of the coaches, mm -hmm. uh, trained them early on, developed a rapport with both them and the parents, uh, credibility mm -hmm. in method and, and model, uh, and then got to know a lot of the student athletes uh, through that process as well. It's a, especially starting out, there was a small group of kids and I used to pride myself on saying I knew every kid and every coach <laughs> in the program. That was when we had 159 or so. Since then, we've grown on average about 44% uh, every year. And so going into the 2019 season here, we're looking at up to 2,000 uh, student athletes participating and just over 1,000 coaches contributing to that program. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's been a great feeder and a logical next step for me to bring some of the alternative programming, excuse me, the parallel programming that happens off season mm -hmm. uh, and help bolster their opportunities and success when they do go into that high school season. Yeah, well, and I got to believe the new facility and the new trails uh, at Worth have got to be huge for the Metro teams. You know, they all, most so the teams out in the suburbs have an Elm Creek or a Lebanon or a Murphy Hanrahan to go to, but you know, a lot of the Metro teams didn't have a place, so they'd have to get in a in a van and go someplace to train. True. Yeah. You know, we, we've been blessed with Theodore Worth and the system there, and that's obviously gone through several evolutions in, in the last couple of years. And um, with the addition of the trails that we've built for the Lopit mm -hmm. and uh, LCW in particular, we've added another seven miles to the existing infrastructure. Uh, still very much uh, short of what we need to suit the critical mass. Uh, we've done some rough uh kind of data gathering and on any given night, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, those busy nights of training um, out at uh, Theodore Worth Park when the high school season is in full swing, we could see up to four or 500 kids on any given night on those trails. Wow. And so uh, obviously, you know, the folks who have been around a while know that those trails were not designed anywhere near uh, uh, to hold that kind of ca ridership or capacity. Mm -hmm. And so um, we're always looking to, to expand that. And as much of a gift as this has been, it's also uh, drawing more new riders mm -hmm. out. And we're going to have to also, you know, be forward thinking in that and continue to develop trails. And so that's another part of Lopet Cycle Works is ob objective is to work with community organizations, the Minneapolis Parks and Recs Board, uh, the city of Minneapolis, uh, the golf course out there at Theodore Worth, and obviously Mork mm -hmm. to uh, figure out how we create more sustainable infrastructure that suits the masses. And, yeah. you know, we're not alone in that either. A lot of the other trail systems are experiencing the same. And, mm -hmm. and we're also not alone in that in Minnesota. Um, we've got 25 high school mountain bike leagues in the mm -hmm. country right now. And uh, as those grow, uh, other leagues and states are experiencing similar challenges and finding uh, alternative solutions mm -hmm. to kind of what the conventional methods have brought up. And so what I'm most excited about is that, you know, we're able to provide year-round cycling opportunities. Mm -hmm for kids uh, that are not necessarily competition-based, but allow for that uh, passion and development, yeah, not just with with performance, but, you know, the, the bicycle is a play, uh, vehicle for getting to jobs, mm -hmm. you know, going to school, commuting, especially in a city like ours. Um, we have a broader opportunity to create a, a competence mm -hmm. for kids who are highly passionate about bicycles. Yeah. You uh, obviously have a lot of facilities that are, you know, sort of focused around mountain biking uh, at Worth directly. What's the balance of programming that you guys do? I mean, in the summer, are you going to have uh, any uh, a relative equal balance of road training and mountain bike uh, exposure? Yeah, actually, it's been great. Um, you know, our my my personal background is is on the mountain bike. Uh, I'm a road racer too, and have had a, a long time in racing road and understanding that and value it 
especially like I had said, when we have late springs, mm-hmm. um, it's a necessary tool. And, and with the infrastructure of, of youth uh, juniors racing here in Minnesota, the opportunities that Minnesota Cycling Federation provides for youth, uh, organizations like North Star Development, Minnesota Juniors, there is a culture of juniors support mm-hmm. and racing and, and the bike shops have really come around and, and embraced this as well. And we have some you know really high caliber coaches. I've got an ex-professional from Argentina who raced uh, for the uh, Jameis squad. As one of our road leaders, we have uh, a lot of the local folks uh, who have been on the scene for many, Mm -hmm. many years racing the Minnesota League Series, excuse me, Minnesota Series races, as well as getting out national. Um, And I think we've got a really great broad uh, coaching staff that mm-hmm. can nurture both the road, the mountain bike, as well as some enduro. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we're hoping to, we've got a few kids who are looking to come up to the track this year as well and That's try great. to take advantage of this last year, um, yep. and really get them exposed to that opportunity and hopefully help, uh, bolster the effort in creating the new, uh, center that yeah. you guys are working on right now. Absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm really curious to know kind of where kids are finding themselves, you know, enthusiasm wise, for road versus the mountain bike, you know, are you, do you have some kids who are really saying, I want to be a road racer? No, I don't think they are, but I think they're, they're saying they're interested in exploring what the road has to offer. Sure. I think there's still kind of a, a mystery around it for mm-hmm. some of these kids who have had a really great exposure to all the things that mountain bike has to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the road is still kind of a, a mysterious creature for them. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think what our approach is, is really just, again, exploratory, uh, learning some of the subtle nuances and there's certainly, certainly carryover in, you know, the things that we do on the mountain bike, mm-hmm. uh, with the road racing and, and from my my personal experience as well as working with juniors is that it's super complimentary. You know, the, yeah, there are sure. things that we can do on the road that we cannot do on the mountain bike and vice versa. And, yep. and in a city like ours that provides so many opportunities, I think the, the general curiosity and, and interest, not just in exploration, but going out and seeing what racing really mm-hmm. looks like is uh, really encouraging. Well, and even from a physical development and a training perspective, right? I mean, the, the things you can do on a, on a road bike are much, much different than the physical extra effort that you can get on a mountain bike too. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. You're listening to 91.7 FM, McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. This is Blast Beats and Bicycles. I've got Bruce Martins from the Lopet Cycle Works and Yo Devo squads in studio with me. We've got a little PSA here for Global Ambassador Volunteers. Are you an international student or did you attend high school outside the U.S.? Join the Global Ambassadors Program, a resource for prospective international and third culture students interested in MAC. You can share your your experiences, meet prospective students. Opportunities include email-a-thon, hosting, tour guiding, Skype conversations, videos, and more. Get started by completing the volunteer interest form. They hope to hear from you. If you have questions, you can contact them at globalambassadors.mcallister.edu. So, uh, Bruce, you've talked a lot about the programs that that have been built within Lopet Cycle Works. What was kind of the genesis of all of this with your YoDevo program? Yeah, well, I mean, I I think it all boils down to, and as I was kind of reflecting back on the history, I wanted to resist going all the way back in time and telling the story. It could be another two hours on the show. But uh, in a general sense, you know, I'm trying to provide people the things that I want, you Mm -hmm. know, or that I would have wanted when I was the ages of the kids that I'm working with. Sure. Uh, You know, as I had said, the bicycle has so much to offer, and we have so many opportunities for uh, at-risk kids. We have so many opportunities for kids who have a general passion for the mechanics and the technology and some of the the art and the science of, of bicycles. We have so many opportunities for kids who just want to go out and play in the woods. You mm-hmm. know, oftentimes uh, they don't, have somebody who can facilitate that or not in a geographic area that is conducive to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a huge advantage and one of the inspirations for me and, and has been all along, uh, both personally and as well as professionally. And then, you know, there's a huge need for juniors development in a way that is more, uh, considerate of the biopsychosocial development. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes programs like ours or, or like programs working with youth are, are strictly performance-based mm-hmm. and um, looking for talent and discarding kind of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And our, our approach is that everybody is worth the opportunity mm-hmm. for good coaching, uh, safe experience, and whatever uh, support that we can provide uh, to 
mentor and and nurture their passion mm-hmm. for their the bicycle and things that are uh, associated with that how do you how do you incorporate those other types of off the bike skills let's call them or off the bike experiences for kids i mean what how does that get built into the curriculum uh so ultimately it, it, they they happen organically. Uh, they're not necessarily structured in. I think how it works for me and then the the program and kind of how the evolution happens is that when we see that there's a an interest, we try to chase after it. Sure. Obviously, we're looking at research. We try to find models, and again, not setting any precedent. Most of the things that we're doing, we're borrowing from best practices from other industries and so or or technologies, and and so you know a lot of it is uh, the science, and then there's just the art and a willingness to, to pursue something new. And so I think, you know, when we see something that kids are interested in and we have the opportunity to either facilitate or refer out, um, we definitely do that. And so, um, you know, it's hard because we have a, a huge number of kids and adults that we work with. First off, um, most of what we do is, is finite in, in what we're competent in providing, mm-hmm. uh, which is we're, you know, partnering with the Lopet Foundation has really provided us a broader opportunity to, to uh, create um, uh, adventure to create off the bike, things like orienteering mm-hmm. or paddling or mm-hmm. trail running or stewardship in different ways. And, uh, you know, some of the, the programming through the summer camps that we put on and, mm-hmm. and the, uh, clinics that we're able to provide through third party, uh, providers like REI mm-hmm. or Midwest mountaineering allow us to leverage some of that expertise without necessarily having to create it ourselves. Yeah. You know, the, the youth programming that I've had a chance to be a part of, it almost feels like I've learned as much from the kids as, as we've tried to impart to them. I'm sure you've experienced the same kind of thing. Oh, we're really open about it. In fact, I said it the other night, I said, as much as I'm here to serve them and, and transfer the experience and knowledge that I have, um, I, I'm learning right along with them. And, and I think that's the beauty, both of the bicycle, as well as the programming that we have is that they're, you know, it's that old adage, uh, the, the older I get, the younger my teachers become. Uh, <laughs> and so I've been around a little while. Um, I used I to, I thought it was the older I get, the faster I was. <laughs> well, that has been my case, but I don't know that that's everybody else's. I, I'll tell you right now, I'm probably better better suited at 40 than I was at 30 for sure. And, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I joke about it, but I'm, I'm totally serious. You know, I've had the the gift of being mentored by some tremendous people all along and uh, starting early on in life with parents and, and grandparents who were educators and leaders in, in youth development in their own right, um, then being handed off to some tremendous teachers, both in, in school, post-secondary, mm-hmm. graduate school, uh, mentoring under industry people like Gary Soquist and some of the folks uh, that uh, are doing the work at the national level, mm-hmm. um, John Munger, Piat Bednarski. I mean, these guys are have been doing this a long time, and, and I'm certainly a student as I kind of watch them in their craft. Um, but I will say, you know, as much as I do reading the research and looking into all the books and the latest technologies and thoughts on this, uh, the students end up being, you know, the teachers at the end of the day. And, and as this program has grown and our opportunities and our scope has grown, so have the opportunities for us to grow as, as, uh, yeah, I'm curious about that. What, uh, how has the program evolved since you sort of created it in your head a few years ago. Well, again, I can't take credit in the full creation. I think what I did was I borrowed a lot from what other people were doing and Mm -hmm. and found a way to apply it in Mm -hmm. a way that serves our community. Uh, You know, when I first started out, I was working with onesie, twosie kids. You know, I had uh, friends with parents with kids who saw what I was doing and and thought, hey, if this they can hang out or and I'm, I'm 13 in my head always, you know? So (laughs) I think a lot of people recognize like, Hey, this guy's good with kids and I'm not, you know, so go off some sweet jumps and, and, you know, there was that. And I think, you know, I I have had uh, a long trajectory, uh, dating back to like 2002 when I started working, I owned a gym and, uh, I was working with an alternative high school that didn't have physical activity Mm -hmm. resources, uh, within their, their facility. And so they came in and I would facilitate programming for them as a gym class. And that Mm -hmm. was kind of kind of the start. And that was obviously well before this idea that uh, vocational outside experience could actually count. 
at the time when schools were starting to cut gym classes mm-hmm. and those th- types of things. And so a, a light bulb kind of went on. And then slowly over time, I was able to find ways to leverage uh, both my passion and interest as well as engage with kids. Uh, we started the high school cycling league back in 2011, and we really didn't know what we were going to get. Uh, ultimately, it ended up being a certain demographic demographic of kids that is still reminiscent or still reflective of the the types of kids that we're serving today. Um, but we just wanted to provide, again, a safe, equitable opportunity for mm-hmm. them to go out and explore something that was non-conventional and, and all-inclusive. Uh, as that program grew, we just kind of f- followed the, the lines. And I find myself in this position not because it was my objective, but because I feel like that's what the community has asked mm-hmm. of us um, as we've grown this thing. And so I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing what comes next. And I know better than to make plans. Uh, and when I start to <laughs> structure things, things a little too much, that's when they go awry. So we're just trying to just sit, pay attention. Uh, they're long days and yeah. we've got an energetic crew, but the, the biggest key is just staying in touch with the individuals. You know, sure. this is about relationships yeah. and it has really actually nothing to do with the bike mm-hmm. so much as it's about building rapport. And yeah. so... So as you look five five years down the road, what what kinds of things do you imagine? Oh my, uh, <laughs> it's a scary thought. Actually, I, 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 I'm, I, five days is actually overwhelming for me at this, <laughs> the moment. Um, you know, I mean, we're laying a good base, and and what's nice about both being partnered with the the Lopet Foundation, which truly is a legacy uh, organization in Minneapolis now, and, and they've established themselves as a credible organization that will be a community partner, uh, you know, indefinitely. Um, I look at five years of of uh, creating every opportunity for kids to explore, mm-hmm. for people to be engaged. Uh, you know, our, our vision as an organization is to make sure that we provide year-round outdoor adventures mm-hmm. uh, with a park like Theodore Worth, with inroads with the Minneapolis public school systems, with uh, expansion into regions. I've got a satellite program going in Duluth right now, mm-hmm. uh, conversations going with uh, our community up in the Cuyuna Lakes area, mm-hmm. uh, Rochester, Mankato. That's just regionally. Um, I have some program stuff going on out over in Wisconsin. And ultimately, this whole thing came about as a result of, as I was doing the work developing the high school cycling leagues around the country, recognizing that there's a need for uh, parallel programming for the rest of the year. I mean, these coaches spend so much time developing a rapport and developing a relationship and the kids trust, and then they're supposed to stop. And the program, uh, the, the National Interscholastic Cycling Association, only covers coaches insurance wise resource wise or training wise during a season just like every other sport and you know they're technically uh, prohibited under those Mm -hmm. guises to have uh, interactions with the kids outside the season and for good reason uh, under the traditional models but Mm -hmm. what we found is is that the bicycle is again so much more than just a competition or a a sport I mean there's recreation there's opportunities for intervention Mm -hmm. Uh, that actually touches on some of my background and back to your question about what happens in five years. Mm -hmm. I think personally, I'd love to see cycling programs in every school and not just from a physical education perspective. Again, we have huge opportunities for exploration, field trips, Mm -hmm. offsetting costs for schools to provide other opportunities uh, for modes of transportation, especially Mm -hmm. in a city like ours. Um, As a person who's interested in behavioral health, uh, cycling has been physical activity in a certain way that cycling actually provides. It has been proven to be as effective for uh, mild to moderate symptoms of depression, anxiety, Mm -hmm. ADHD, the things that are really challenging school systems, kids and families right now. And I would love to see that model or or this potential intervention explored and and applied um, in that way a little bit more too. And so I think some of the, as we get the the teams and the the sport developed Mm -hmm. under the the Lopet Cycle Works uh, and that rolling smoothly in the next year or two, I'd like to get back to um, really providing individual support in mm-hmm. terms of behavioral health and, and uh, interventions in, in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to know, I mean, a lot of city kids uh, from all parts of Minneapolis uh, don't really think of the bike necessarily once they're out of grade school. 
how do you guys reach out to people and make them aware of the programs? I mean, what kinds of things are you doing to get the word out? Yeah, so we're working with school administrators. We talk to uh, you know summer program uh, providers. We have several communities who are doing summer programming, whether it's through a week-long camp or mm-hmm. clinics or actual full-on summer programs. Um, so really connecting with folks who kind of have a model already built up uh, that we can just leverage. Um, most of the time now, it's, it's not so much about the outreach that we're doing. We're, we're actually fielding requests, wow. which is a, in a nice place to be in. Yeah. Um, not everything is feasible or sure. within the realm of our uh, service scope, but um, it's been a, a nice blessing to be able to say that we don't have to do a whole lot of outreach at this mm-hmm. point. People are coming to us and, and looking for support and, That's in fantastic. various ways. Um, and so the other piece of all of this is that the bicycle isn't recreation for every culture and community. Right. Um, and oftentimes it, it is seen as um, a, a vehicle that is a necessity. Mm-hmm. And um, most of the time, you know, if we're trying to come into a community where the bicycle is only seen as transportation or their access and, and they don't they don't recognize the recreation, um, we have to be respectful of that too. And Mm -hmm. so uh, some of it's just kind of creating a a recreation culture within Mm -hmm. a community that doesn't actually see that. Um, And so that's been a challenge as well and something that we're really looking forward to helping bolster and and grow uh, as an outreach effort moving forward. Hey, uh, I reflect on uh, something that Mark Trumper told me, Mark, from the, the Pedal Power Kids at Pillsbury, one of kind of the leaders in getting kids on bikes within the Minneapolis public schools. And he said, you know, a lot of these kids come home from our program and they teach their parents how to ride. Right. You know, and so they get the whole family excited about bikes. And I got to believe you you must have some similar types of experiences. Oh, so much. Yeah. And, and again, it kind of the whole thing is, has come full circle as, as good things do. You know, when we first started this thing, it was parents who had kids that were out doing this, that, you know, the kids were out there anyway. And we mm-hmm. created something for the kids. And now it's definitely the kids are bringing that back. And, you know, I work with the Cedar Riverside community, uh, community similar to the the work that Mark's doing up in, in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. And, and it is uh, the, the kids, this is their, their interest and their, um, uh, passion and and the parents don't quite understand it, especially if they're coming (laughs) from a different culture. Yet the beauty of the bicycle versus most other sport is that it is ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a world recognized machine or, or technology that isn't super foreign. I think the, the, the biggest thing is communities don't necessarily feel safe outside of their communities. And so, you know, the bicycle and and some of the opportunities that we're providing or encouraging people to come and explore are outside that zone that feels safe to them. And so the biggest challenge that we have is to both again, you know, create the safe space Mm -hmm. and then find some sort of method to educate people so that the myths and the misunderstandings are broken Mm -hmm. and that they feel supported. Not just with resources material wise, but also opportunities for connection with the broader community. And I think, you know, the kids are, as is much the case in other venues, uh, the leaders in that right now. Mm -hmm. Do you find that you you have a barrier with parents? I mean, are parents a little gun shy, so to speak, of letting their kids be a part of your programs because of that sort of lack of familiarity? Yeah. You know, I mean, yes. And uh, when when parents reach out. They, I think they're genuinely asking questions and not resistant. And so mm-hmm. I don't necessarily see it as a barrier so much as an opportunity for us to really, you know, continue to educate sure. and provide information that I'm not in the business of convincing anybody. Right. Yep. And and I think there's enough evidence out there that it can speak for itself. Um, the, the biggest tool is actually when the parents participate with the kids physically. And so mm-hmm. we encourage parent involvement at every level. Wow. Um, uh, you know, when we do bike rodeos, out in the community. Mm-hmm. I don't want parents just dropping their kids off right. and then picking them up later or mm-hmm. sending the kid down the block to participate. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to recruit parents to participate as well. And so, you know, one of the things that we're doing out at the Lopa Foundation right now at the trailhead is anytime we create a youth program, we're trying to offset that with a, an adult program that mm-hmm. could parallel that. And so imagine, you know, you get off work, you go pick your kids up, you come out to the trailhead. Every other sport, you're going to drop your kids off and sure. either wait yep. uh, or, or go do something else right. and come pick them up. Yep. What we would like is for you to park or better yet, ride your bike out. Uh, we're connected <laughs> to the grand rounds and yep. easily accessible for most people who are inclined to utilize the, the trail systems that we're also blessed to have here in Minneapolis. Come out, experience something that their kids are also doing, but 
appropriate to their level sure. with their community. Um, and what's really nice about that is is that at that point, then I don't have to I don't have to explain things mm-hmm. that you know an experience speaks for itself. And yeah. what I found is most cool is that you know the, the the youth can go out and and ride a trail, and the adults can go out and ride that very same trail, mm-hmm. have very different experiences, and yet come together and have that that common bond that they yeah. can they can connect with. And so what I've learned is is that you know. Whereas the rest of the day, kids are doing stuff that parents don't know about and can't comprehend and and don't communicate. There's this maybe only opportunity where they can have this dialogue that's meaningful Mm -hmm. and this shared experience and something that, you know, they, they, they can share, uh, that's meaningful. They can both get stoked about the shred, right? Right. Right. (laughs) And challenge each other. Um, oftentimes I see parents that come in and they're like, ah, you know, I'll never be able to keep up. And pretty soon they're like, well, maybe I might be able to hang on. And (laughs) now they're, you know, challenging their kids and their kids are challenging them. And, you know, we kind of create this, uh, family, uh, Sibling rivalry, yeah. what would be sibling rivalry with parents right. and kids as well. That's great. Yeah. What uh, what does a seasonal schedule look like for you guys? I mean, well, yeah, we're we're a year round program. Yeah. Uh, you know, so like I said, we started kind of our program starts in November when the high school cycling league stops. Mm-hmm. Uh, we pick up right where they leave off. Uh, give the kids a little bit of a break. Get them into the gym. Get them off the bike. Mm-hmm. Build some balance, some stability, some rapport. Mm-hmm. Um, spend the November through February. February into March, uh, really just establishing some fundamentals, getting them on the bike, mm-hmm. seeing where that we can help uh, adjust form, technique, uh, see what their abilities are. Mm-hmm. Going into this March into June, um, we obviously start to get outside. We, you know, if they're coming in with an adventure focus, we'll break those kids out into an adventure program. Mm-hmm. The folks who are looking at um, participating at a local level in any kind of competitive sense, uh, we'll group those folks together. And then obviously with that high competition mm-hmm. outlook, we'll start to train those kids. And then, you know, further down that breakout road, mountain. Um, most of the time it's not one or the other. We've got these kids who are interested in all things bikes. Sure. And so yep. trying to find ways where we can bring them together. Mm-hmm. The summer is chock full of events. Like I said, there's a amazing racing pretty much every weekend. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, as I started to look at June, there's opportunities for us to be racing five days a week. Wow. So, uh, we'll be, we'll be looking at kind of how we balance schedule, energy, mm-hmm. interest, ability, resources, those types of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, the, the high school cycling season actually starts in July and most of the teams don't necessarily get going in July but uh, you know at that point our role is secondary we serve to supplement the programs that they're participating in at the high school level mm-hmm. so we turn the kids over to their coaches and their teams making sure that they understand that their commitment to their team is first and foremost mm-hmm. and that we're not a replacement for right. that programming right. mm-hmm. um, really con- conversing with the the coaches the parents being out there supporting the kids um, there are still racing that goes along uh, that happens in addition to the the uh nika season or the minnesota high school cycling season and so you know that their coaches aren't necessarily um able to facilitate and Mm -hmm. so it's a delicate balance of making sure that we're supporting and not interfering uh and then you know we we um give them a little bit of a break at the end of the season uh there are kids who again aren't in the competition season or of interest and so they'll stay with us throughout the fall yeah finding opportunities to take trips uh we regularly go down to bentonville or up to up or Mm -hmm. we've got a spring break trip uh scheduled for sedona this summer which is not competition focused just going out and being part of the adventure yeah so and, yeah, it's a long season. Yeah, it's not. But you got something new coming uh, coming around the bend just about every every month of the year, basically. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm curious to know a little bit about your plans with some of the kids for nationals. I mean, it a lot of adult cyclists who are planning to go to a national t- championship will train and get a very specific structured program. Do you have a similar kind of a setup for those athletes that are absolutely? Going to nationals? Yep. It, it's a rigorous, uh, very detail oriented uh, regiment. Um, What's nice is that we're able to, with our coaching staff and new technologies out there, really kind of monitor Mm -hmm. fatigue levels, life balance, uh, both appropriate uh, loads as well as opportunities for um, uh, nutrition, 
uh, sleep. Uh, we just, we were trying to bring in professionals all, all the time who talk about the, the bigger challenges. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the racing is actually the easy part. It's the, the logistics, <laughs> the transport, the, the, tran- the, the, the travel. Mm-hmm. I mean, oftentimes you're getting into a van with 14 other kids who you wouldn't necessarily otherwise hang out with. Right. Um, and so, you know, making sure that we're creating respectful, uh, and safe, uh, uh areas and, yeah. and, and whatnot, and really trying to provide for as much supplemental education around, uh, how to manage oneself day in, day out yeah, so that we can actually get to the line and be successful. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting when you, when you talk about success, you know, I'm sure every kid has got a different version of that mm-hmm. given where they are in their development, their training on all that kind of stuff. How do you sort of set the stage for somebody who's going to nationals so that they have the appropriate level of expectations for their ability? Yeah. And so, you know, right now it's, it's, we, we personally, I could care less about performance. You know, what I want to be able to do is make sure that the, all of the components are there and that kids understand the process. If they get out there and, you know, they finish last, that that's a win Mm -hmm. in that they came out and experienced something that at the highest level, uh, and worked really hard toward it. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, our model day in, day out is, is do your best. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, we strive for excellence. We're, um, hoping that kids will learn kids and adults will learn the process process that having a plan, mm-hmm. uh, what it takes to execute, uh, when you have a roadblock, how do you transcend, um, utilizing the resources that are available and, and trusting the process. Yeah. Uh, the beauty of the bicycle is again, you know, r- relative to other sport, we don't have this finite amount of time where if you don't do it in this time, it, you don't, you lose it. Right. Um, speaking for myself and, you know, the data shows that you know, most professionals at the highest level in cycling don't ever get to that peak until 28 to 35. And so I'm constantly reminding the kids, our coaches and their parents, the community as well, that, you know, the pressure's off right now. I mean, really what we're doing is foundation laying Mm -hmm. and, and for, you know, what may transpire a decade or so well after they're out of our program. So you got to build the passion too, right? I mean, absolutely. And, and oftentimes if they've got a competition, a national competition objective, they're passionate kids. I mean, this is not being imposed on them by anybody else, not necessarily. And we do really vet that out as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bigger thing is, is just to create this, this patience mm-hmm. and a persistence, uh, and a long vision, which again, kids on their own just can't comprehend. And I so, can't do that now. Right. Yeah, well, <laughs> and I'm not going to profess I'm any kind of professional in that as well, but goals nonetheless. So like I said, it's a constant, it's as much as about me and my development as it is for yeah. them as well. You know, we talked a lot about the facilities. We talked about all the programs that you're building. It, it seems like this is really a program that's hungry for volunteers. Well, again, we're not for profit. So, yeah. I mean, by by our model, where it's a small core of, of staff and, mm-hmm. and hugely reliant on volunteers, uh, in a, we have a really dedicated group of people. And mm-hmm. unique to our organization is that we are actually able to compensate at least the folks who are showing up on a regular basis who are willing to uh, perform at a level of a basic level of professionalism. Um, and so, yes, we do need a lot of volunteers in a general sense, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to events and support on, on big, uh, endeavors like we have going on out there today, Mm -hmm. but day to day, actually, you know, our program, we're fortunate. And this is again, a huge kudos to the Lopez foundation and all the work that they've done, uh, generating the, the financial support that we Mm -hmm. get, um, from our community and stakeholders, uh, we're able to actually stipend and compensate, uh, the people who are contributing to our program program in a way that most other programs aren't able to do. Yeah, that's really rare. And so what kinds of things do you, I mean, you talked about events, what other kinds of things can volunteers do or how can people help support the program? Well, it comes through multiple ways. And I think most of all, you know, just knowing that there are people who really believe in, in the work that we're doing and see the good mm-hmm. in, in what we are. I mean, word of mouth is, is, is huge. And sure. I think, you know, we really value having a, a positive face in the community that mm-hmm. that's huge. Um, if you're interested in getting involved, obviously, you know, we have ways whereby you can come out and contribute to participating mm-hmm. in the events, yep. your every entry fee that a person, you know, 
uh, pays to participate in the events that we put on and directly uh, helps bolster some of the programmatic stuff that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are, have a huge donor base. Uh, so even if you're not inclined to provide your time, yep. uh, there are multiple methods and avenues that you can do use uh, individuals, organizations, uh, groups and such where you can con- contribute without having to put a bunch of time in. Um, and at the end of the day, I mean, uh, yeah, because it's so broad and, and there are so many different aspects of what we do, um, we really do just, the, the, if a body shows up, we're able to find a, a find place a for, for them. them. Yeah. yeah. And nice. then what's been really inspiring is that once somebody comes out and sees the work that we're doing, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of the, the Kool-Aid, if you will. Yep. Um, and, and we really have to do little at that point. It's, it's actually, how do I make sure that I'm making, that we put the people in a place where they can feel a value and, yeah. and, and really contribute in a mm-hmm. way that they're competent. Yeah. Where, how do people find out more? Well, the website, www.lopit.org. Uh, it, when you go to the website, you can see all of the programming, uh, look at the trailhead, check out some of the, the programs that we do from a foundation level, obviously, you can look at the Lopit Cycle Works page in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are is information about all of us coaches, the programming. Uh, we have opportunities to participate in programming, again, for kids and adults uh, indicated there. We have a great program called Club Trailhead for mm-hmm. people who are not necessarily programmatically oriented, mm-hmm. can still take advantage of the facility, um, experience all the joys of the park and mm-hmm. the amenities that we provide without having to be a part of the, the group. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I encourage everybody to check out what a club membership uh, looks like. Uh, and that's a real easy way to both contribute to the work that we do as mm-hmm. well as take advantage of the facility in a non-committed sort of way. And then obviously you can always just donate. And so we have donation buttons set up on our Facebook page. We have uh, Instagram accounts as well as uh, all over the website. Fantastic. Lopit.org, right? Yes, please. All right. So before we uh, let you go, I want to learn a little bit more about about you. You know, how did you get hooked on the bike originally? What was your what's your bike origin story? Well, I grew up in a neighborhood outside of a little city, a group of uh nine houses or so where there were a bunch of kids and mostly boys and we were on gravel roads all interconnected uh and and isolated out it was a, a closed system to traffic so relatively wow. safe Jeez. and so yeah it was just kind of Your a cool, cool breeding ground yeah totally. a little bit of terrain and a lot of <laughs> land and so you know i was i was one of the younger of the the group of kids that i grew up with and the bike was a way for me to uh, hang with the big boys if yeah. you will uh in a way that i couldn't necessarily if it was a physical competition like a a wrestling match sure. or you know, a yep. football game where I'd get leveled. The bicycle <laughs> was actually, you know, one of the things that I was able to utilize. Plus, I mean, it was accessible yeah. in, in a way that you know, I grew up in a very modest, lower middle class kind of upbringing economically. And, and, uh, I couldn't afford some of the other sports that the kids were playing, but I could definitely afford the bicycle. And so sure. I guess by nature, I was able to just kind of settle into that, uh, growing up out of town as well. It was my way into the city and nice. to my friends yeah. and to school and f- gain some independence. And I think unconsciously I started to tap into the freedom and, mm-hmm. and the, the exhilaration that I got as a result of that activity, yeah. prolonged activity. And as someone who's prone to feeling down once in a while and getting a little bit up and imbalance in mood, I, I think I also experienced some of the things that I talked about as far as, you know, mm-hmm. some of the mental health intervention that comes along with that. And so I think it wasn't intentional, just happened and yeah. happened to be in a community. We had a, a small bike shop out of town um, that was really supporting the community. And I was able to get into to a, a little bit more advanced cycling uh, access, a uh, group of people who early on in the mountain bike scene were starting to pick things up. And we had some rogue trails that we were able to ride. And I just cool. love being in the woods. And yeah. it just gave me a great outlet. That's fantastic. Do you remember your first bike? Uh, I do. And, and it was interesting as I was reflecting on this, um, I had a, a neighbor who was into creating choppers. So he would take all these frames and re-weld them and he'd put these long monkey bars on the Schwinn, you know, and, and so he really stoked us with all these designs and I really wanted something. And my parents, you know, I had two younger brothers, two working class parents, yeah. and it wasn't a luxury that was easily afforded. Sure. And so I remember coming home one time after missing the bus and my parents couldn't get me to school and I had to sit there. The next day I went to school and I came home and my dad had actually gone down to the hardware store and bought me my first bike. Wow. It was a red Huffy. Um, and, and, you know, I can't say what happened to it or even if I liked it or not, <laughs> but I remember that feeling of like something new, something fresh, you yeah. know, growing up in a neighborhood of kids who had a lot of hand-me-downs. A mm-hmm. lot of times I just got the hand-me-downs sure. and the this was one of the actual, regardless of 
of the bike. It was right. the, one of the only new things I ever got. And so yeah. I think that also bolstered this passion or this sure. excitement around the bicycle. And since then, you know, it's just been uh, a form of communicate, uh, mm -hmm. transportation, uh, my social outlet. Um, I can't say that I'm inherently good at it, but it does in some way continue to inspire me to get up and try harder every day. And nothing else has really done that. Yeah. So since then, I've had multitudes of bikes. And one of your other questions for me was like, what's my favorite bike or what was, <laughs> I don't know. It's, I've had so many and I've been blessed with so many great opportunities to get on amazing rigs. Yeah. And I always just say, you know, I'm, I'm stoked about every bike. I, I just awesome. love the idea that there's so many different rides and that they are so, so different yep. and so many different applications. So yeah. I guess my, my favorite bike is the one I'm looking at next. So <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know. One, right? Yeah. We're coming up on new bike season. So stay tuned. There you go. You know, you've obviously had a chance to, to travel a lot, a lot of places around the country and, and ride. All the, the best. Program. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great. Where, uh, what's on your bucket list? Um, you know, I, we've got marathon nationals, uh, down in Texas this, uh, this May, and I haven't actually ridden those trails. So I'm really excited about that. That's the most immediate one on the bucket list. Um, I think in a more general sense, I, I haven't done a, a whole lot of international travel. And so I'd like to expand my kind of my exposure to some, some, uh, trails abroad cool. and working with some of those communities. And then finally, you know, just as a, as a, a sport, I haven't gotten into bike packing yet. And so if there's anybody out there listening <laughs> and wants to start to, to give me some insights and yeah, yeah. And, and we do, you know, I've, I've, I've had the, the pleasure of hiring on a few people, Todd Bauer in particular, who uh, does have some experience in that. And we're working on some programmatic stuff and we do have some trips planned. So that's uh most immediate. Very uh, cool. If, if somebody's got some ideas for me, definitely reach out. I, I have a hard time saying no to a bike ride. <laughs> well, Bruce, it's been fantastic hanging out with yeah. you. Yeah, thanks for having it's me. It's been an hour already. Um, we've got our uh, event calendar, of course, on uh, Wednesday night. We've got the or Thursday night, excuse me, the Fat Thursday Cyclocrits over at Lord Fletcher's, uh, and that's on Lake Minnetonka. Then we've got 30 Days of Biking has their registration party on uh, Friday the 8th at the Farmstead Bike Shop. And then, of course, this evening, Bruce, tell us what's going on. Out yeah, there. like I said, the Lopedex event's happening. Uh, practice runs start at 5. The racing starts around 5.30. Uh, should be a great time. And uh, in addition to that, we are planning a Wednesday night series starting May 8th out at the trailhead. Look for uh, some new courses. Uh, two six-week sessions out there that are complementary uh, both to ability and uh, age and, and gender. So look for more information on that. Awesome. Thanks again, Bruce, for being here. This has been Blast Beats and Bicycles, 91.7 FM, McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota.